servant hospitality. That's what we're talking about this morning, and uh, it's something that I think we've all experienced at some point in our lives. I think every single person in this room has experienced hospitality in some way, shape, or form. Maybe, uh, like me recently, you know, your family moved into a new community. Or maybe you uh, recently uh, started attending a new university or um, a new school community. Or maybe you've started a new job. Perhaps maybe your story is a little bit even more like uh, this, this uh, man who was uh, beaten up on the side of the road and maybe you, maybe you were biking and, and crashed your bike and, and needed somebody to help you out. See, we all have experienced in our lives at some point our need for hospitality. We all need it, every single human being, no matter who you are. And so we've been in a series uh, this, week, uh, this month that we've been looking at the core values of our church. And this, servant hospitality, is one of them. And uh, as we've been looking at each of these core values, we've been looking at them through the lens of, of our vision. See, at First Hamilton, we see that our calling is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate in God's renewal of all things. And this whole transformed, renewed thing is, is played out in every single one of our core values. And servant hospitality is, is no different. And so up on the screen, I put um, the description of our core value up there so we can look at it together. So servant hospitality, it says this, The church is a sign and foretaste of the kingdom of God for all people to see. Following Christ's example, we demonstrate hospitality by welcoming and enfolding those who seek a place to belong, extending ourselves as neighbors within our communities, and pursuing justice in our city so that all people may flourish through God's grace. The goal of hospitality is flourishing through God's grace. And I've, I noticed something as I was looking through it, is that there's, you know, typically when we think of hospitality, we think of having guests over for drinks welcoming people into our place. But, but in our core value, there is both the receiving and the extending. Welcoming and enfolding and extending ourselves as neighbors within our communities, even so far as pursuing justice in our city so that all people may flourish. And so that's why we see in this passage this morning is hospitality. The Good Samaritan parable is about hospitality. It's about, it's about extending ourselves as neighbors within our communities, pursuing justice when we see injustice. And so what does that look like? So this morning, uh, we're going to look at three points. What is servant hospitality? What is behind servant hospitality? And where do we get the ability to do servant hospitality? So what is servant hospitality? There's so much in this story. And this being one of Jesus' more uh, famous parables, I can imagine that many of you have, have heard a sermon on this before. And so this morning I want to focus on um, three different aspects of, of hospitality that we see in this parable. So first is that hospitality is social. The story was written a long time ago. 
And it was written to different people, and they didn't live in Western culture. And so when we, when we read this parable, we miss a lot of things that, that Jesus' hearers would have just easily internalized and, and would have str struck a chord within them. Uh, one of these, for example, was, the, you know, right, when, um, right at the beginning of the parable, when it says that the man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, uh, this road was a common one, the Jerusalem to Jericho road. Many people who either worked in Jerusalem or, or um, you know, had family close by, they would have walked this road often. And when they say go down, they, it actually is, I, I got a picture of kind of, you can see the, the trail, the trajectory. You know, Jerusalem is up in the hills and Jericho is down below. And so descending is something like 1,500 feet, okay? So it's not, not, like, not like descending a mountain, but it's definitely, it's something. You're going downhill almost the whole time. You can also notice that it's, it's fairly windy. Um, this, would, this would mean that there would be a lot of uh, blind corners. It being in the hills, the, the, it's very rocky there, and so there's a lot of caves, places for people to hide. The, the Jericho Road was not a place where you would travel alone. And so we see this, Jesus is telling the story about this man alone, traveling on the Jericho Road down, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and instantly... In the, the hearers of this parable, it would have been, uh, well, this guy's foolish. <laughs> Why would you be going on this road alone? You're just asking to be robbed by the people who would hide out in these caves. The, uh, it was pretty common for extremists to hide out in the hills around Jerusalem and to prey on people like this. And so instantly, Jesus' hearers would think, this guy is not, not the smartest. He's not the sharpest tool in the shed if he's trying to do this alone. But not only that, Jesus also uses the most basic word for man, anthropos in the Greek. The story tells us that this man was beaten up. He was, uh, there's, a, there's a picture of the, the road, so it's, very, it's a very small road. Um, so the, the, Jesus uses the word, the most basic word for man, uh, and when when he describes him being beaten up, he very specifically says that they, they took his clothes and, and they left him half dead on the ground. So any way of identifying this person, their race, their uh, class, anything about this guy would have been taken away. And so there's this guy who's traveling this road who's not really the smartest since he's taking this on by himself and he be, you know he he's falls in the hands of robbers and there's everything's taken away from him and so you can start to pick up on this is this is not somebody who you would want to help right jesus is is really getting at here is that in god's kingdom race doesn't matter in god's kingdom gender doesn't matter even deserving help or not deserving help doesn't matter. Being anthropos, being a human being, being the image of God is what qualifies you for hospitality. Jesus is challenging the typical social nature of hospitality here is that when somebody is honorable, 
That's when you extend yourself to them. That's when you go above and beyond. Not in this case. The other thing that's intentional about this is the type of people that are used. He doesn't just pull out of a hat random jobs in the nation of Israel. You know, or, you know, that's the Levite. This is a, this is a priest. These are intentional. These are people who had a very specific and holy role in, in Israel. And Jesus is picking on something here. He's poking at something that's very sensitive to the Israelites in that they held these, these people and the morality to a very high standard. And the, the Levite and the priest are images of that morality. If anyone would stop and help, it would be these two people. Now, scholars don't know why the Levite and the priest passed by on the other side of the road. We know it's not because they didn't see him. You can see how narrow this is for a hike on the rail trail if you've ever gone on the rail trail before how hard would it be to pass by a half dead person on the side of the rail trail it would be almost impossible luke even goes as far as to tell us that they did see him and they moved to the other side to pass by the samaritan though enters the scene and when he comes to where the man was he saw him and he took pity. And the, the, the Samaritan complicates this, this story socially even further. Because Samaritans were not people who the Jews got along with at all. The Samaritans were from uh, Samaria, a different, different region. And they were seen as half-Jews. Because they had intermarried with Gentiles. And that is, a, that is something that is... is was, was completely frowned upon in, in Jewish culture. And not only, not only did they intermarry, they also had theological differences about where to worship God. This would be kind of like, you know, if, if this, Jesus is telling this story around here, um, you know, it'd be like there was a, uh, a bunch of Toronto Maple Leafs fans who passed by on the one side, and then a Montreal Canadiens fan stopped and took pity on... The, these, are, these are enemies here. Right? And, and, and that's what Jesus is picking on. The last person who Jesus hears would think to stop would be this man. What is he getting at? What is Jesus trying to uncover by using these images and using, telling the story in this way? Well, I think that we have, to, we have to get past social boundaries in hospitality. The gospel is calling us to get past race, get past gender, get past um, class, and extend ourselves, welcoming and enfolding people from all nations. Right? That's the vision of social hospitality that is cast in this parable. The next is uh, that hospitality is physical. So, uh, as I said before, um, this, this man was uh, in not really the smartest person if he's traveling this road by himself. But what, what would also happen is that these robbers would beat people up and then leave them on purpose, not fully dead, but half dead, so that they would entice others to stop and help out. And then they would pounce on the, the one who's trying to, to extend themselves and to show pity and to care for a person. And so by the Samaritan stopping to help 
out, he's actually putting himself in physical danger. He doesn't know if these people are still around. He doesn't know if they're just waiting for him to stop. He puts himself in a vulnerable position. I think living out gospel hospitality, welcoming people and extending ourselves, pursuing justice, this is, this is going to lead us into risk, right? Jesus is not calling us to be foolish, and there's a difference. And I can't get into it today, but there's, he's not calling us, he's, we have to be wise in the way that we show hospitality. But we can't, we can't get over the fact that regardless of how you do it, regardless of what organization you partner with, or what, how we show hospitality, how we welcome people in, there's risks involved to us personally, us as a church family, but the Samaritan took a risk to stop and treat this man. He also puts his plans on hold. Right? We don't know where he was going, but he was obviously going somewhere. And he, he takes his time and completely redirects his, uh, his journey to help out this man. How often are we too busy to even think about hosp- what hospitality means? in our communities. Lastly, he also physically treats this man's tangible needs, right? He bandages his wounds. Uh, Luke, the physician, goes on to describe how that happens. He pours oil and wine as a sort of antiseptic uh, for, for his wounds, and he puts him on his own donkey, and then physically hands over money to care for him as well. This is an intensely physical story of a man showing hospitality, extending himself to meet this man's tangible need. Lastly, hospitality is emotional. We don't often think about this, but I think it's worth mentioning that the, the, the Samaritan took on the emotional weight of caring for this person. And one of the uh, commentators that I was reading this week mentioned that inns Inns were not safe places. They were not, it's not like the Holiday Inn that we have where there's, you know, a water slide and a pool and a continental breakfast. Inns were actually the third, apparently the third most uh, used place to stay overnight. The first was at a friend or family. The second was anywhere else. And then the third was the inn. And what this commentator was getting at was that the, the inns were often places where robbery happened. Uh, and, you know, um, innkeepers were not to be trusted. They weren't trustworthy people in those days. And so for this, for this Samaritan to hand over two denarii, which is two days' wages, and say to the innkeeper, if you need any more money, just let me know and, and I'll foot the bill. He's, he's handing over the emo- he's taking on the emotional weight of caring for this man as he continues on his journey. We have to think about how hospitality leads us into, uh, the gospel leads us into hospitality that can be, is, is, is kind of challenging the social boundaries that we often see in our culture, the physical boundaries that we often put up, and, and also the emotional things. We try to keep a distance from investing emotional um, support into, into people. 
But what's behind servant hospitality? Because we have to ask ourselves the question, um, you know, what is causing Jesus to tell this story? Why does Jesus tell the story of the Good Samaritan? And it's because he's, he's being questioned. Right? Did you notice that he's, he's being questioned about how to get into heaven? And this was a common question in those days to rabbis. Uh, if you were, people were trying to like scope you out, scout you out a little bit, see where you fall theologically, they would ask you, you know, what do we have to do to inherit eternal life? And uh, so the, the, Jesus then responds by saying, uh, well, what's in the law? How do you read the law? And the, the lawyer says to him, well, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Which is the, the double love command that we see in the scriptures. It kind of sums up the law, the Torah. And Jesus says, great, good answer. A plus. Now go and do it. And that leads the lawyer into the real reason why Jesus is telling this story. Because it's Luke fills us in an important detail. He says, but he wanted to justify himself and asked, who is my neighbor? What's he saying here? See, I want to know the bar. I want to know how far I have to go to show hospitality. I want to know exactly what the line is so that I know when I am good enough to get into God's kingdom, inherit eternal life. And in exactly that moment, the lawyer is off. He shoots himself in the foot. And Jesus picks up on that and then tells this this story. Because what the lawyer, uh, what Jesus is saying in, in this story is, hey, lawyer, you know, you want to, you think you want to love God and love your neighbor. So I'm going to tell you a story about hospitality that blows all your expectations out of the water. And I'm going to tell you to do that. Because I want you to see that your motivation is way off. Because you're not actually wanting to love God and love your neighbor. You're just wanting to get into heaven. You're being selfish. You're being selfish. And that's what's behind this parable, is Jesus is trying to uncover selfishness in this lawyer. He's trying to get into heaven, but he's doing it for his own benefit. He doesn't actually care about the people he's supposed to love or the God he's supposed to love. He's doing it because he wants to get into heaven, to be seen as a good person. And now some people take that and they say, aha, That's what's so toxic about believing in God. That's what's so so dangerous about religion, is that it takes away your freedom, enslaves you to this standard of morality that you will never be able to, to, to fill, to do, and then fills you with guilt because of that. And so you're constantly doing things, trying to, to get rid of this guilt that you constantly have. But studies show that even non-religious people show hospitality or feel the need to. And so to, to people who aren't sure about this whole God thing or aren't sure about religion, why would you show hospitality? 
You know, why would you extend yourself to other people when it doesn't benefit you at all? It doesn't, doesn't help our evolutionary biology in any way to, to, to help people who are not the fittest in society. Because whether, whether we do hospitality for religious reasons, trying to prove to God that we're good people, or non-religious reasons, trying to prove to ourselves that we're good people. We do it for the same reason. It's selfishness. It's so that when we hit the pillow at night, we can think of ourselves as good people. But the gospel, the gospel gives us the power to be freed from this. And that's what this story is all about. Because Jesus is not telling the story to give us an ethic, to give us a rule. He's giving it to us to point us to a person. That's where the hope lies. This parable points us to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who left the community of heaven, the perfection of heaven, and came to earth and became us. He became a social outcast. He was beaten up by his own people. He was despised. He was stripped of all of his clothes. You couldn't tell his class. You couldn't tell that he was divine when he was hanging on the cross. He was brought down low. People passed him by on the road when he was hanging on the cross. They made fun of him. And when he yelled in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken him? That was God passing him by. He was the man half dead on the side of the road, crying out for help, and nobody saved him. Why did Jesus put himself in that position? Because he became us. He did it to bring us in. He did it to bring us back to, 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 to pay the debt that we have against God so that he can welcome us in with open arms. He endured the isolation of the cross to give us a relationship with him. Receiving the grace of Jesus Christ through the cross means that, that we are we are children of God. We are welcomed into the kingdom of God, not by anything that we could do to, to earn it, but only by grace. Only because Jesus Christ hung in our place. He did it for us. He did it to free us from trying to earn our way and constantly failing. And that is how we receive the power to free us from showing hospitality out of obligation and into showing hospitality out of joy, out of happiness. I fell on a quote this week by a Scottish Presbyterian minister named Robert McShane. Never heard of him before. And I've, I paraphrased this quote, um, and he challenges us to rethink how we show hospitality and why we show hospitality. It says this, Now, dear Christians, some of you pray night and day to be branches of the new vine, 
You pray to be all over in the image of Christ. If so, you must be like him in hospitality. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. Objection. My money is my own. Hmm. Well, Christ might have said, my blood is my own. My life is my own. And where should you have been? Objection. The outcasts are undeserving of my hospitality and care. Answer. Well, Christ might have said that these are wicked rebels. I will give my blood to the, I will do good to the angels, the deserving outcasts. But no, he left the 99 to come after the lost and gave his blood for the undeserving. Objection. Well, if I give hospitality to others, they might abuse it. Answer. Christ might have said the same thing, yet with far greater truth, he knew that thousands would trample his blood under their feet, that many would despise it, and many would make an excuse of it for sinning more, and yet he gave his own blood. My dear Christians, if you would be like Christ, give much, give often, give freely to the vile and the poor, the thankless and the undeserving. Christ is glorious and happy, and so will you be. It is not your money and your time that you really want, but your happiness. Remember his own word. It's better to give than to receive. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, as we talk about hospitality and how you have called us through Jesus to extend that to those around us, our neighbors, those in our communities, Lord, we know we need your help. We pray that you would uh, give us your Holy Spirit that would stir up in our hearts the truth of the cross, the scandal of grace, and our need for it in our lives. Lord, would that motivate us to extend ourselves, to welcome people in, to pursue justice in this city, in this country, and in your world. Lord, would you show us where we as a church can do this well and where it's needed most. In Christ we pray. Amen.